know me, you know that reading lots and lots of words is not good because I switch off. So you're in for a treat this morning. Oh, yes, you are. What I thought I would do is kind of break down most of the chapter into Acts. Not Acts as in the book of Acts, but Acts like a play. Because again, if you know me well, you know how much I love the arts. <laughs> I mean, the theatre, oh, that's my idea of a good time. In fact, Thursday evening, I'm going to the Ulster Hall, don't you know? Yes, I know, it's the Spring Festival. BRA's Spring Festival. I can't wait. <laughs> so, <laughs> Ian and Corinne at the back, we're going to be there together. Bring a hip flask. I mean, I mean, uh, I mean, bring, bring coffee, bring coffee, bring coffee. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. Oh, okay, Act One, uh, the angels' visit. Here we go. I'm going to break it up. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that happened and sent them to Joppa. So, first act, what we have here is a man named Cornelius. He's a centurion soldier. Centurion simply meaning he oversees 100 other soldiers. So he's a pretty important uh, fella. He was uh, God-fearing and he gave to the poor. He has this vision in the afternoon. And during this vision, he has a visitation by an angel. And the angel speaks to him and simply says, your gifts have been noted. And he sends word to a man named Peter, who's in a different place. And uh, we're just going to see a bit of geography on that, for those of us who can see it. Oh, it's not going to work on this one so well. But simply, oh, that's just not doing the justice. But there you go. You've got Caesarea at the top of the blue line and Joppa or Joppa, or it's now named Jaffa. Um, is that where the oranges come from? Am I making that up? There it is, yeah? Okay, well, there, there, there you go. And I need to keep doing this. It's like so flipping annoying. Uh, if you were to walk there, according to Google Maps, it would take you 12 hours and 36 minutes. So that's the kind of distance that we're talking between the two. And what Cornelius does is he sends two assistants and a soldier to go find Peter in obedience to what the angel told Cornelius. Act two, Peter's vision. About noon, the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. 
The voice came to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So, the very next day, after Cornelius has had the visitation from the angel, Peter's up on a rooftop and he's praying. He's hungry, a meal's being made for him, and during that time he falls into a trance and has a vision. And during that vision he sees uh, like this sheet being lowered down from heaven from the four corners and on it are four-footed animals, mammals, there are reptiles and there are birds. And the voice says to Peter, kill Get up, Peter, kill and eat. And he refuses, and he simply says, no way, you know, that's impure. That goes against everything I've always known. I've never done that, nor will I. And the, uh, God speaks again, the Holy Spirit speaks again through the vision, simply says, don't call it impure that I've said is, is clean. And he says this, visit, or this vision comes three times. Act 3. Uh, the three that have gone to find Peter, find Peter. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied. We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to the house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. So the 12 and a half hour journey takes place and they walk that enormous distance and they go and they find Peter and they, uh, they go and have this conversation and Peter says to them, what is it that you want? And they simply say, well, Cornelius, our boss, who's a really important guy, who's a Roman centurion, but sort of liked and respected by you Jewish folks, he sent us because he's had a visit from an angel and he wants you to come back with us so that you can explain what is going on? And he invites them to be his guests. Act 4. Peter meets Cornelius. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you have sent for me. So, Peter's obedient, and he takes a wee ministry team. He doesn't go on his own. He actually takes other believers and thinks, hey, let's go for a jolly. We're going to go up the coastline a wee bit, pack your bags, we're going on a trip. We're going to meet this guy called Cornelius. 
Cornelius has gathered his friends and family. They said, come and hear this man who's going to enlighten us. Cornelius falls at Peter's feet, but Peter is humbled and says, get up, mate. I'm just a man, just like you. You no need to do that. Peter shouldn't be there, according to the law. And he makes it clear. He says in this passage that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate or be in the company with a Gentile. We shouldn't be mixing. But God has shown me, and he's explaining the vision that he had through the, the animals and the reptiles and the birds coming down. That was the imagery, that was the, the, the wording or the, or the way in which God had communicated to Peter, it's okay to go. In fact, I'm calling you to go and hang out with this Gentile man and these Gentile people. It's okay. And so Peter explains. He says, God has shown me that it's okay. And he concludes by simply asking, why have you sent for me? Act 5, we're not going to read it. Simply as Cornelius explains the visitation, and that's verses 30 to 33, uh, and then basically invites Peter to say, well, what have you got to say about it? And Peter, from verse 34 to 43, basically teaches those that were present. So the friends and the family and Cornelius' wider, wider network of people, he begins with the visitation that he has, and he begins by talking about Jesus, whom Cornelius had had some uh, kind of uh, role in. Um, and then we're coming into land, Acts 7 is the Holy Spirit comes in power. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that's the Jewish folks, the ministry trip guys who had come with Peter, were astonished. They were amazed. The gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. As Peter is talking, the Holy Spirit comes. The Jewish folks were amazed. My goodness, even on these Gentile folks, God is coming in great power. And it was demonstrated because the gift of tongues was released to the Gentiles. And they were astonished. They were amazed. My goodness, it's not just for us people, God's special people. It's for all people, which really plays into the whole thing of what Jesus said when he said, go and be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea to Samaria, which was the neighboring nation, and the ends of the earth. It was for all people. Peter concludes, welcomes them, and says that I find no reason why they should not be baptized in the name of Jesus, and they baptize him. How is that for a play? No ice creams were served. Uh, for us visual learners, I have a special treat for you. During the week, I knocked up a little video together. Mm-hmm. So sit back and enjoy. That's good, eh? Some of you are thinking, why do you not just show the video? 
especially the young people. That's all you do these days, isn't it? Watch three-minute YouTube? Sorry. So what? You know, amazing story happened. We have it in the text. We can read it. But so what? It's like every time we read the scriptures, it's great. But so what? What does it mean? Because the very things that we see here, that we read about in the scriptures, still have meaning, still have so much that can teach us and can lead us. And I've just a number of different things I just want to draw out of the passage. The first of this is that Cornelius is an unlikely candidate to being a follower of Jesus. Being a Roman centurion, completely different background, much like Paul that we talked about last week, is the most unlikely candidate possibly, and yet God sent for him. In fact, he sends literally an angel to him. Over the years being a follower of Jesus, I've had the privilege of seeing so many people, the most unlikely candidates, come to know Jesus. I mean, look around you. I'm now noting those who are still with me. Who is it who's in our lives right now that we look at and we think, oh my goodness, that person is so far from knowing Jesus and coming into a relationship with him? Just ponder it right now. Who, are the, who is the, the person or the people in our lives that we can think of? And now just pray for them. Right here, right now. Close your eyes, keep your eyes open. Name them. God, would you reveal yourselves, reveal yourself to such and such. Secondly, Peter is hungry and praying when he hears God speak. And I think there's, there's something in that. Uh, just by interest, we're in the period and process of Lent. Has anyone given up anything during Lent? Come on, be brave. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Great, fantastic. I'm just interested. I think that there is something in the process of Lent and this leading up to Easter, and it's actually something that perhaps we should teach on. But there is something about giving up. There's something that comes through hunger, uh, be it food or be it something else that we grow very reliant on in our lives, that we lean into, and it brings us great comfort. It's not necessarily that it's a bad thing, by the way, but by removing something like that, it certainly provokes us and brings us into a place of, uh, of intentional relationship with Jesus. That's why suffering is so good for us. Isn't it? That's why when we, uh, when we come into a period and process of suffering or of loss or of hardship or whatever it is, what it does is it bends the knee. And, and, and it's not that God brings it, but boy, God uses it. And he uses it to bring us closer to him. And so it's no wonder that in this, uh, this time where Peter receives message, when he's hungry and he's in a place of prayer. He's positioned his life in such a way that he can hear from the Lord. 
And we've looked, goodness, over the last uh, couple of years, really, we've looked at practices, haven't we? About how we can position our lives in such a way as God can speak to us. Thirdly, Peter opens, uh, he becomes open to something that at first seems counter God. I mean, if someone else had told him, go and see this guy Cornelius, he probably wouldn't have been so open. But he was open to what God was saying to him and was obedient. The vision that God had given Peter was countercultural. It, in his mind, was ungodly, uh, went against the law, went against everything that he'd always known and been brought up uh, to believe. And praise God that he did, because today, perhaps, we wouldn't be eating bacon. But it's, uh, it's um, you know, what are the things, what are the practices that we've put in place in our lives that we think are good practices? And they could be godly practices, which nearly take a different kind of level. Um, Without going into details, God spoke to me a number of years ago through this very passage. And I had become really fearful in a certain way. I'm not disclosing everything. I'm protecting myself. <laughs> I became really fearful in a certain way. And in a way to protect myself, I began to just simply um, guard myself and protect from stepping out of line and doing something wrong. But that self-protection actually became a little bit silly to the point where I noticed I was avoiding certain places and certain people in a sense of self-preservation. And I remember just a, a, a time when God spoke to me through this very thing and he said, it's okay. It's okay. See that stuff that you're doing? Paul, you just need to stop that. And that honestly was the most releasing thing. And I'd realized that the, the very thing that I thought was godly and the very thing that I thought was good practice actually was preventing me uh, from just being actually free of something. And it, what it did is it just fed into the fear. And sometimes I just think we, we put things into practice to kind of uh, make us feel secure when God is actually saying, see that thing that you're doing? You just don't need to do that anymore. Uh, fourth point, Peter is obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. After having uh, received the vision, and the Spirit leads the three men. He could have still rejected, but he was obedient. And he took a huge risk. He took a step of faith. And he literally went into the unknown. And he really didn't know what to expect. He had no idea what the conversation was going to be, or what would happen, or what would come as a result of it. And I think very often God places things in our lives that we think, my goodness, that looks interesting or that looks exciting. But our fear again can really hold us back. Some of you know this story and some of you don't know this story. Um, many years ago, we lived in Carrickfergus. An opportunity came to move to Coleraine and uh, to be part of the Vineyard Church up in Coleraine. A uh, job was offered to, uh, to myself, and uh, we had the opportunity to go. Now, we had just had Hope, who's our third born. So Sam was four, Owen was two, and Hope was three months old. In fact, she was just born when we 
kind of got, in fact, Chantelle was pregnant when we got the job offer. I had to work a term uh, teaching before uh, I was able, before I was in a position where we could go. It was 2007, beginning of 2008, and uh, for those of you who remember, the housing climate at that time just went through the roof, and we were about to sell our house for like megabucks. And literally, we put our house on the market right at the top of the peak, and not a single person came to see our house. And uh, we were in a position where we're like, oh my goodness, what are we gonna do? Sure, we've gotta move. And, uh, and it was, there was a moment, it was touch and go as to were we going to obey the Lord and obey his leading and go regardless or were we going to actually go, do you know what, nah, we'll just stick here and, uh, and stay. And in the end we rented our house out and we rented a place up there. And the most amazing thing is we ended up returning to the house where we still live because God knew better. Even though we didn't know then, he knew in the future. And that's often the way it is. But it still required a step of faith. Still required us to go. When I look out here and I look at us all, I think, my goodness, we took a step of faith. Andy and Angie and the folks in Lan, keep praying for them. They have nailed their colors to the mast. They've gone. They've literally gone. They literally sold their house. They've literally bought it. They are, you know, go, go. And in this particular example, they did not know what they were getting themselves in for. But when God places an invitation and you know it's the Lord, be obedient. Even though you don't know what's around the corner, be obedient and step out in faith. Fifth, what time are we? Peter takes a team. Peter models discipleship. He doesn't go alone. Uh, the, the video showed you just Mary, but in the scripture it says some of the believers went along. And uh, Peter did what Jesus did. He modeled it, didn't he? Jesus didn't go alone. He took 12 with him. Why? Because it was good for the 12. Trained them up. And that's exactly what we see here. And what we love in our church is that we don't do it alone. We do it in team. You know, so we go on team. And something happens, especially when we go on mission. So those of us who've been on a team, we've gone to Ethiopia, you know how good that is going together. You know if you've been part of the Revive team and you've gone out into the streets on a Friday evening, or if you've been part of the Red Bus giveaway at Storm in the Castle, or you've been out and you've done giveaways. Um, you know the benefits of being part of the kids team on a Sunday morning. You know the benefits of serving coffee together on team. And we just invite you and encourage you. There's something, there's a dynamic that takes place when we do things together. And uh, Stephen Gowd is leading a troop. And this is a heads up. This is a great invitation for you men. They are going to clear the land on the 18th of April. They're paving the way. They're taking territory. Sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? They're going to the allotment and they're going to clean the weeds for Carly Ogilvie's allotment group, which will start after Easter. Something just brilliant and earthy, isn't there? Men, roll up your sleeves, get your hands dirty, be there. Uh, question, what team are you on? We want you all to be on a team. Everyone gets picked. Sixth point, and we're nearly there, willing to engage with others that are seen as unclean. P 
Peter said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. He's prepared to go to them. He's prepared to mix with other people that would not be his folk. It's like an Englishman coming to Northern Ireland. It's this willingness and this preparedness to just mix and mingle and, and what have you. What places, what people groups may God be spend, uh, sending you to that maybe you would rather not go? Don't go alone. Go as a team. Last point. The Holy Spirit was poured out on those that were considered unclean. Jesus said, didn't he? It's not the, it's not the healthy I've come for. It's the sick. And it's the sick. It's those that need God that the Holy Spirit is poured out on. It's those that God is so close to. And, and we see it all the time. We see it in our lives and we see it in the times that we minister to in the various things that we do 